Hello, and welcome to GovConnect, where we sit down with local government innovation experts to bring you insightful stories and advice on technology, best practices, and the latest trends. And here's our host, Andrew Kirk. Hello, I'm Andrew K. Kirk, City Source Chief Revenue Officer. And today I'm talking with Amanda Daflos, the director of Mayor Eric Garcetti's innovation team in the city of Los Angeles. Amanda has experience in public sector and the nonprofit world, and in 2018, Los Angeles was awarded the Fast Company World Changing Idea for their work in tackling the housing crisis. As our listeners hopefully know, our goal with the GovConnect podcast is to speak with as many interesting and diverse chief innovation officers, chief information officers, and IT leaders in order to learn about their rapidly changing roles in local government. Amanda, welcome to GovConnect. Thank you. Looking forward to a great conversation. Awesome. Well, this is a, a warm spot in our heart because CitySource is actually headquartered in LA. And when we were a very young company about 10 years ago, and Mayor Eric Garcetti was still just a council member at that point, he was a big into propping up local companies and especially technology and bringing that into government. So how did you make your way out to LA? How did it become your home? I've been here since um, early 2015 and had the chance to stand up what's now um, Mayor Garcetti's innovation team. Um, so that's that's how I came here. And, and of course, um, the city now has been home for four years. We have a lot of family here, um, a really wonderful network and, and an outstanding community that's been a part of the work that we're doing here in LA. You're actually our first guest on the show that has an MPA degree but you also spent almost 10 years in consulting. So tell us about your unique career history and how you got to your current role. Absolutely. Um, so I do have an MPA degree and I've also worked in the private sector. Um, I've also worked in nonprofits and inside of government. Um, I'm one of those people who sort of always knew what I wanted to do. Um, so going all the way back to high school, um, I've always been an activist and really involved in um, sort of transformational efforts and transformational work. So sort of emerging from my hometown of New York, um, that was a passion of mine, and, and I've been able to follow it through all the way in my career. Um, as far as my career goes, you know, I, I started out in nonprofits um, really intentionally, I wanted to get the experience of working in a small nonprofit. I wanted to get the experience of working in a large nonprofit. Um, and when I was working for that large nonprofit in back in New York, um, one of the conversations I had was, you really should go get an MPA if you're going to stay in this. And pretty quickly realized that I, I wanted to go serve government, but that a great place to do that would be at a firm like Deloitte, where I would also get a lot of really great training for my career. And then wound up spending 10 years um, with Deloitte in the public sector practice. I had the chance to work across um, pretty close to 30 different agencies um, around the world at the federal level, the state level, and then the local level. Um, and did in large part, you know, IT work and um, strategy work and, and process optimiz optimization work um, for government agencies. And I had a couple of different you know, non-governmental clients along the way, but um, primarily my my practice was in government transformation, um, most simply put. Um, so that's how I sort of created that career. And then um, I was lucky enough to get a call from the city of LA when they began the work here in the city and got the grant from Bloomberg Philanthropies 
um, which is how our our office was was started. Um, and so I got the call from the city, and and it was really, frankly, a no brainer to come work for uh, Mayor Garcetti and have the chance to stand up um, our what is now our, our office. Was it always part of your grand plan to get into the public sector, or was it a more natural progression as you were looking for the next opportunity? And this just happened to be an amazing one that came to you. My gut always told me that I would probably wind up back in um, the the public sector at some point. Um, I didn't necessarily know what exactly that role would be. And it was more a matter of a great role coming up um, that I, I really, frankly, couldn't say no to. Um, but I think in, in the back of my mind, I made a lot of choices early on in my career, everything from choosing where I got my grad degree and how much that cost me. Um, I made a lot of those kinds of choices based on the idea that at some point I would, I would likely be back in government, whether that was doing what I'm doing now or, or yeah, it, it was really about finding, I think, the right role more than anything, uh, particularly given my intention to sort of stay in the space of transformation and change and, and really bringing new ideas and, and implementation to government. At some point, I think I knew that that would come back. Tell me a little bit about your I-team and how it's made up and specifically how you have this separate team and how you work to go into other departments, which in the city of LA is at a massive scale. So in LA, we you, you may know, we have in the city of LA, um, we have 4 million residents here. Um, the city is about 459 square miles, not to be exact, but that's that's by some accounts how big we are. Um, so a really big place with with a lot of people in that place. And as far as the government, we have um, typically we say between fifty and sixty thousand employees um, that work in about thirty eight departments. Um, so we're we, we're a big workforce. In fact, we're one of the largest workforces and employers in in the city. Um, so what we do on the innovation team, um, it partnership is a really important part of what we do um, because with a team. The size that we are, while we're a large innovation team, um, relative to the size of both our city and our workforce, that the partnership piece is really important to being able to scale. Our focus is really around being a, a multidisciplinary innovation team that can bring skill sets that might not be um, either frequent in the departments or in some cases even present in departments. Um, so by that, I mean, we have design capacity on our, our team. Um, so everything from making things look good, certainly, but more importantly, helping design solutions that keep our users and our residents in mind. Uh, we also have data capacity, and we found that that's a really important thing for um, sort of getting to the bottom of what is is going on so that when we are actually working on a project, we have a really good base in um, the data and the quantitative side of things. And we also have a group of project managers on our team. So myself included, um, I come to the the city with, you know, more than a decade of of hardcore project management experience. And um, we've got some other folks on the team that are, that are, you know, flushed with that skill as well. And, you know, bringing that plus the data and the design, those three things have really been central to how we do our work uh, on the LA team. I mean, then the nice thing is we also have um, a PhD or a PhD in engineering. We have um, individuals with 
planning backgrounds. And so you know, we've worked really hard to hire people that bring a lot to the table. The way that we work is that the mayor, true to our origins with, with Michael Bloomberg's philanthropy and the innovation teams program, we work by task of the mayor. So the mayor gets to decide sort of a priority that, that he thinks the innovation team should focus on because either no one's focusing on it or because it's sort of the next important thing for him. Um, and then we get to dedicate uh, our research capacity and our design capacity um, to that and eventually wind up working with departments to determine what types of solutions we can deploy to address whatever issues have come up to the top. And then you know, my team spends a good amount of time in delivery. Um, so we, we actually work with our departments to deliver projects. And, and I should say our departments and residents and um, you know, really whoever makes sense as far as whatever solution we're, we're delivering, we bring the right people to the table to do that work. And I can talk more about sort of ideation. Something you've written about is the importance of how your department tightly manages and measures projects. I think everyone can acknowledge that you can't manage what you don't measure. But for our listeners who don't yet maybe have a deep focus and understanding on measure, could you take us perhaps one step deeper in how you go into a department or to a project and how you begin to think about what is it that you'll measure when you're kicking off a new initiative? One of the things that's core to our work, um, and our mayor um, is, a, is a really big champion of, of certainly open data and then being able to actually understand what the things we're doing as a city. At the end of the day, the question is, is this making lives better? How is it making lives better? Do we have more people participating? What people are participating? Because you set up sort of your goals for any one project in terms of what it's going to achieve. Um, one base question is, how will life be different for our residents as a result of this project? And then if we have that as a base question, we can be much more uh, deliberate about the specific things that we measure to tell us whether or not or how we're making life better um, for our residents. A really good example of a place where we've been able to set out the goals of a program, develop a program, launch a program, measure the program and now react to what we're learning in that measurement is a program that we launched in 20, uh, late 2017, early 2018 with the police department here in LA. We've got this really amazing pipeline of youth programs that are dedicated to policing. How might we help people in those youth programs actually become police officers? The program we set up called Pledge to Patrol is all about helping young people have apprenticeships, really. Um, so they come out of those youth programs, and the city now offers um, an apprenticeship program where some of the top performing uh, individuals in those youth programs can apply and become apprentices and have paid work while they're in the application process to become a police officer. Some of the hallmark goals of that program were to have local young people, to have um, diversity amongst men and women. So we knew we wanted to try to strive for 50-50. So we were able to really, when we measure things that closely, you're able to actually calibrate and make intentional changes in programming to ensure that you're reaching those goals that you've set. 
you bring up a great example where the end goal is more police officers for the city. Did you know that you just had to get more in at the beginning? Was it actually getting in and through the process to become an officer? How did you think about in this great use case you brought up? Where are the measure points that we want to make sure we're taking the pulse? Great question. For the innovation team, we had a wide portfolio of work we did with the LAPD um, and our personnel department. Pledge to Patrol was one part of that. Our overarching goals for the whole portfolio were bringing in more police officers, bringing in more police officers more quickly, and bringing in more police officers who had a certain set of characteristics. And those three things sort of serve as the pillars of much of the programming that certainly the innovation team put in place. It also serves as a a really important pillar for our personnel department, um, one of our core partners on uh, the work with the LAPD. Um, so, So those principles really guide all the decisions that we are making about programming. And then when we launch a program, we're able to ensure that the metrics we're measuring on the program align back up to those important pillars um, that I mentioned around the police work. Shifting back a little bit to your department specifically, one of our previous guests, Abi Namani, actually served as the city of LA's first chief digital officer. And he advises one of the big challenges for any of these new C titles, but especially innovation officers, is ensuring that there's budget there to support the staff and the resources to create the necessary infrastructure beyond just the leader or the figurehead there. As of last July, your department transitioned from financial support from a grant from Bloomberg Philanthropies to being maintained wholly inside of the city's budget. And I think this is an interesting topic, especially for our listeners who are trying to think, how do I create some form of an innovation team or leader within my agency. And I know a budget is going to be a driver for that. So what was involved for you to make that transition? And was it a difficult sell? Our innovation team, as I mentioned, was started by a grant from Bloomberg Philanthropies. And I believe their goal is that cities will, at least in my interpretation, is that cities will be so excited about the innovation teams and and get so much value out of them that the city will itself fund those innovation teams. We were able to to have some really great conversations about um, keeping the team in place so that the team could continue performing the type of work that the team performs. The experience was, was frankly making sure that we were having good conversations and the right conversations and that you know the team, most importantly here, at least in LA, was making sure that we were providing value um, for a long period of time and meeting the needs of our um, of our leaders, because at the end of the day, they're, we're here to serve the city. We're here to serve residents, um, and to be able to continue to do that, um, you know, we we do need to be funded and we do need to have a staff. And so that was some version of the experience. And I think now the way that sort of the phase we're in now is that the staff are funded by the city, assuming that I do a good job putting. Um, things things forward and that the team does a good job of presenting our work and our ideas and, and why those things will provide value to the city. Great. I know something you've talked about in the past is this 80-20 rule. And could you share with us what your version of the 80-20 rule means? 
one thing that's always going to be true in government is that there's a lot of work and it takes a lot of energy and, and time to keep the lights on um, in day-to-day operations. Our team has been sort of the legs, the arms and legs of getting things off the ground and being able to infuse all the ideas of our departments um, and usher a new program or usher a process um, through to the finish line. And then when we get to that sort of the, the program is stood up, you know, we wind up then transitioning a lot of the work to the departments. And um, that process can take, you know, anywhere from a month to a year um, sometimes. But it, but, but our role begins to become the 20% and their role begins to become the 80%. Um, and so that, that balance has worked really nicely here in LA. I don't know that, that it applies everywhere in that way, but for us, it has worked um, I think really nicely, and we're all getting better at at how that happens. But I think it, in the end, our vision is that it it really makes the transformation more possible, um, and it makes the speed of things um, feel better because um, we can move things more quickly. Because you've got a point of contact who's in charge, and I think it makes our our partners feel supported in in the requests to ask for change. They ha- they have partners in doing that. So that's a little bit of how we think about it. Um, you know, and, and there's all types of applications for 80-20, but it, when it comes to workload, uh, we're applying that 80-20 role to workload and we're imply, applying sort of the knowledge transfer, you know, pieces to, to, to all of this as well in the sense that, you know, we may have all the, the setup aspects and we may be tracking the dashboards and the metrics and setting all that out. Um, and so when we switch things off, that transfer is, is really, really important. Great. So f- I guess following up on that part of this process is a gradual systematic transitioning of ownership or workload to that partner, as you call them. You hit on this a little bit, but what factors really make that transition process easier and what factors tend to make it a little bit more difficult? One of the probably most important things is just open communication and regular communication. Um and so we tend to treat our projects as projects and we tend to set up an infrastructure around our projects that involves regular communication. So if we're going to launch, just going back to the Pledge to Patrol example, we got a team in place that would do that with us. And then that team met regularly. We had a project manager on our team and we asked for a complimentary project manager in both the personnel department and uh, the, the LAPD, because those three groups were the, that, that was the team. You know, and so I, I think having a regular project structure and expectations is one of the most important things that, that I see is, is what has helped those projects become successful. Having a team in place is really important. And having roles and responsibilities clear is really important. And constant communication amongst the people on that sort of group team. Um, so when we set up a project, that, that, that is sort of how we structure things. Um, every meeting has an agenda. We, we sort of have all those, those rules amongst the I-team. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's a lot of what we hold dear um, and I think that's what helps take people through a process of creating something and, and bringing about change in a way that 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 feels um, supported and and, and 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 in a way that people feel as clear as they can possibly feel 
and given the chance to weigh in as much as they can possibly weigh in. So it's, it, it's somewhat of a really structured but democratic process of um, transforming or introducing something brand new. Great. So thinking about your own role, but maybe even thinking about other innovation officers that you have interacted with, and hopefully this growing, budding field that more and more local governments are looking to add, what do you think is the biggest challenge you see facing a chief innovation officer today? I think one of the most exciting things about about my roles, you know, when I took my role, I, I was one of, you could probably count them on two hands, maybe three hands, um, you know, innovation, dedicated innovation folks in, in cities and in, in government. Um, and now, most recently, Bloomberg convened, um, you know, generally all the people acting in chief innovation officer roles. And there were more than, I'm going to say 60. I think some of the, the nature of some of the work we're doing is really important because we have to be able to make that business case in a way that's compelling and, and, and clear for our political leaders so that they can make great decisions, um, but also for our public so our public can understand the value of some of the work that we're doing. Some of the other things that, that, are, that are hard are, you know, this is new. And so anything new is always, it just takes a minute for folks to understand it and understand what we mean when we say innovation teams and government. We've had the, the opportunity to be in our role, and I've been in my role now for four years. So I, I get to speak about this a lot. And I know that when people hear us talk, they're, they're just so excited about the work we're doing. Um, on the other hand, how do we get more people and more of the, the, the folks with the skill sets that government needs um, to actually come join us in government and, and be a part of this work and be a part of you know, all the work, frankly, that government is doing? Um, and maybe a third thing that I think, you know, government at, at large, and it's somewhat related, but, you know, government is expecting to see, as is, you know, many professions, but we're expecting to see mass retirement. Um, that creates a lot of opportunity for thinking about ways to do things differently, do them with, you know, technology. Um, but we also need to bring in the, the, the sort of a, a new generation of government leaders, um, and it's something that I'm deeply passionate about. It's one of the reasons I'm in my role. Um, I, I feel really compelled to bring in some of the best people. Uh, my former colleagues from a place like Deloitte or um, the federal government or private sector. Um, I think we want to see more of those skills in government. But at the end of the day, I want to see more young people in government who are driven to act and make our services you know, the things that they need to be for residents. Um, because government really is an amazing place for innovation. Um, it's just that I think we haven't always told our story in a way that compels our younger generation to want to work here. Um, and so I, I feel very passionately about that. And I think people like me, we really need those young folks um, to want to come work for us and work with us and work in our departments and work in the police department and work in the planning department. Um, because at the end of the day, there is no better place to be doing uh, change work and be doing innovation work and, and trying out some of the coolest things that, that one can think of. Um, there's no better place to do it than in a, in, in a place like a city uh, government. That's a great note to end on. And with that, I want to shift into what we call our rapid three question round. So number one, City Source, we're all about the power that local governments can have in delivering more services via the smartphone. So what type of phone do you use and what's your favorite app? 
one part of it's hard, one part of it's easy. So I, my smartphone, I have um, an Apple iPhone. Um, I have an 8. And I think my favorite app, I've tried a lot of different ones, but I, I probably have two favorite apps. One is actually just the simple, anything that lets me take notes. And then I've, I've recently fallen in love with um, a few different apps that allow you to take and file business cards. Um, and I found that that has made my life infinitely easier. Two, what's one book you most recommend or give away? I've probably given The Alchemist away um, the most by Paul Coelho. Um, that's probably the, the, the most frequently given book um, over the course of at least the last 15 years. Three, what's one tool, software, or even non-tech hack that you're using right now to improve your life? I, I mentioned my recent love for some of the business card apps. So that, that's definitely one. Um, I've also got this, this system of, of notebooks for the non-tech hack that I, am, I have has changed over the years, but it's a system of, of note-taking and to-do listing um, that I'm continuously working on. But it involves a small notebook that lets me track my work things to do on the left-hand side my personal things to do on the right-hand side. And when that list is often really long for the week, and then I have a post-it that I use for the things that have to be done in a day. So essentially what I'm working on doing is getting through my whole list through the week. And then my post-it is the things that absolutely have to be done in the day. Um, and I have found that that particularly when, when my role tends to be things that all, there's a lot of things that just happen in a day that you need to tend to. Um, the post that lets me deal with the longer term things of a week and also the, the emergent stuff in a day. Um, and so far it's going, the posted edition is, has made things a lot less wild. So that has really, that has really helped. Well, that ends our episode for today. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining. Please let our listeners know where they can find out more information and connect with you online. So there's a couple ways you can find us. Um, you can follow the, the Los Angeles Innovation Team on Twitter at LA Innovates. You can follow me on Twitter at Amanda Daflos. You can also check out our website, which is losangelesinnovates.com. And of course, I'd encourage everybody to check out the mayor's website at lamayor.org. Great. Well, you can find all those links online at citystars.com and in our show notes. And if you, the listener, want to learn more about how local governments are delivering services to residents through our mobile app platform, visit us at citysource.com. If you have any feedback about the show, I'd love to hear it. Shoot me an email, andrew at citysource.com or on Twitter at Andrew K. Kirk. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, and Spotify. Please subscribe to GovConnect through your favorite podcast service and leave us a review. It greatly helps us to spread the word that GovConnect is the podcast for local government innovation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to GovConnect. Please make sure you subscribe. And don't forget, we need you to rate and review so that we can continue to bring you the best in local government innovation.